when we study what next for real estate, the fact that that market was held back during the pandemic, it's kind of created this price opportunity. And when I examine real estate around the country, I still see some of the best buying opportunities inside of Melbourne. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code-cracking affair. We're going to dig into industry inside of real estate. We're going to take a look at mastering the Melbourne property market place. Yes, it's going to be a big show today. Welcome aboard if it's your first time tuning in, play the show in double speed because the podcasts tend to go forever. So unless you have all the time in the world, I suggest you double play the podcast. Yes, speed it up. I don't sound like a chipmunk. And of course, all the podcasts I've done are lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back. Big part of my journey is helping people understand real estate. Consider my programs, briefings on the real estate economy. There are so many different facets to understand when it comes to real estate, how to find expansive capital growth, where to examine strong yields, what lifestyle impacts are influencing the real estate market, and of course, what are the next type of industries to evolve to take real estate in a bigger and better direction. Today, we're going to focus on future cities and we're going to discuss the Melbourne uh, marketplace. We're going to discuss the city of Melbourne. And of course, when it comes to property investment, Melbourne is today a relatively good choice when it comes to picking a property for expansive capital growth down the track. But of course, uh, for a lot of people, particularly off the back of the pandemic, their relationship with the Melbourne marketplace is a little bit distorted. There's probably many people who have seen people leave Victoria and travel north to uh, the more sunny states, places like Brisbane. But is it all bad news for Melbourne or are we actually missing a critical piece of the puzzle? Today, we're going to discuss what that looks like. Obviously, we here in Australia are growing a skill-based economy. It's very interesting to understand the evolution of skill. When uh, I was a school leaver as a Gen X, 25% of us Gen Xers went to university to, to get higher and better education. Today, the Zs leaving school, one out of two or 50% actually go on to university to obtain a skill. And it's interesting watching the emergence of skill and how it 
interfaces with real estate. Melbourne's future is very much connected to a skilled economy. And today we're going to have a bit of a chat about what really drives the Melbourne economy and therefore drives the Melbourne property marketplace. But it's fair to say off the back of COVID, certainly the news suggested a lot of people were leaving Melbourne to go live in Brisbane and that obviously did happen. And of course, many people drifted up to many other pockets. A lot of spatial distribution happened off the back of the pandemic. People learned to work from Zoom. And of course, if you lived in a bigger, denser city, places like Sydney and Melbourne, a lot of people decided to go and find new housing in regional areas and of course, the Sunshine State. But it's interesting because if you analyse both Sydney and Melbourne, they're very dense places for their states. By way of example, 75% of Victorians live in the city of Melbourne. That is a huge number. By uh, way of contrast, only 48% of Queenslanders live in Brisbane. So for uh, people leaving Melbourne, it comes off a very, very high base, much higher than any other place. In fact, for New South Wales, 63% of people from New South Wales live in Sydney. So as you can see, if uh, by way of that example, you know, from uh, if one person was to leave Brisbane and move to Melbourne, it would be the equivalent of actually 1.5 Victorians going the other way. So you've got this dynamic inside of two of our major cities where density and a huge population base live. And of course, this from a property investor's point of view is a very good piece of information because when government wants to stimulate the wealth effect, they look to places like Sydney and Melbourne because the population is there, the voters are there, and of course, they can drive bigger and better results. But it's fair to say that uh, during the pandemic, obviously the world's harshest lockdown, certainly chased uh, 25,000 odd people out of the city of Melbourne, which is a today a 5 million person city. And when we think about cities, often we start to conjure up thoughts that they're kind of past their use-by date, but it couldn't be further from the truth. How will people live side-by-side cities into the future? Well, today we're going to explore what that looks like, and Melbourne is a great example of what we would call a city designing a new future. Melbourne is dubbed dubbed the science city. So we're going to take a bit of a look at what that looks like. But obviously, when it comes to your retirement, you want to make sure you've got real estate sitting in a place which is going to exist in your retirement. We don't want it drifting off to a sleepy little village where old people go to die. 
that doesn't seem like a smart thing from my point of view to go and do. And of course, off the back of COVID, we saw really uh, the idea of a lot of baby boomers getting out of the workforce and going off to sleepy little villages, driving the prices up of many regional, coastal and inland communities. The argument, of course, is if you actually look at the fundamentals of those societies, they're very much aged societies. There is no workforce propping up those societies. It's just very much self-funded retirees propping up those societies. So as a property investor, we want to go where money is going to improve over time and things are going to accelerate around us. And we often focus on what is known as pie economics, population, infrastructure, and the economy, which relates to jobs. Today, we're going to pull apart Melbourne's pie, if you like, and see if it stacks up for us as property investors to consider it as a investment zone. And of course, uh, what tends to happen when it comes to property investment is it's like a running race at times. One city might pull ahead of another, but eventually another city catches up and you've got this kind of like push me, pull me effect. And really what interests me about the Melbourne market, certainly at the moment when it comes to prices, is the fact that during the pandemic, artificially prices were held back compared to cities which didn't have such severe lockdowns. Uh, simply put, a lot of people couldn't buy real estate because they couldn't get out of their houses. And so because they couldn't move around, the real estate market didn't trade with the velocity it did in other states. And of course, this led to good capital growth in Melbourne, but not as high during the pandemic as places like Adelaide and Brisbane. But actually, when we study what next for real estate, the fact that that market was held back during the pandemic, it's kind of created this price opportunity. And when I examine real estate around the country, I still see some of the best buying opportunities inside of Melbourne, really because its price was held back during COVID. And of course, with the recent downturn, you've had prices pull back uh, as well. So if you wanted to go back in time and buy in, say, 2019, Melbourne is your turn back the property clock marketplace because it really does allow you to uh, find pricing, which is not uh, double the price of what it was in 2019. And certainly other markets, today you're paying double the price. So if you don't like the idea of buying other people's capital growth and you missed out on the pandemic boom off the back of stimmies, then Melbourne's actually not a bad choice when it comes to your next property investment decision. Now, obviously, anyone who's been to Melbourne uh, would know it is one of the most 
livable cities in the world. It's voted constantly in the top 10 most livable places on planet Earth. Uh, Before the pandemic, it was receiving over 120,000 new residents every single year. It was growing at an accelerated rate. And of course, if things are to return to a normal space of the 220,000 new migrants that are coming per annum per the Treasury forecast, over 120,000 per annum will probably settle back into the Melbourne economy. It is designed to be a bit of a catchment for certainly new people coming into the Australian economy. It is designed to catch new skill. Obviously, during the pandemic, there was a net loss out of Victoria into Queensland, but the reversal of that is now unfolding. Things are going back to normal. So outside of a one in 100 year pandemic, Melbourne is the fastest population growth place going around when measured over a 10 year period. So its population is actually set, suggested to surpass that of Sydney by uh, perhaps around 2026, 2027, 2028, it will become Australia's most populated city. By mid-century, by the time you retire, Melbourne will actually be home to anywhere between 8 to 9 million people. Today, it's sitting at around 5 million people. So think about that when it comes to your retirement. The population is going to swell and of course, if you can buy real estate and control it in a nice place and there's going to be growth all around you, then generally speaking, when there's more people and less place, things tend to go up. Obviously, if you've been to Melbourne, you probably understand it as a cafe capital of the world with lots of culture and arts and it really is a brand to itself when it comes to that space. It uh, stands out as a place which um, certainly is full of its own identity. You know, just thinking about the great game of AFL, I mean, it uh, it really is housed inside of Victoria and, and of course, it's, um, you know, it's its own unique fundamental to the whole world Um, and as such you know you've just got this amazing amazing brand popping out of what is Melbourne but what is driving Melbourne obviously if we go through the pie logic population growth economics and infrastructure I think uh, you'll find if you start to actually research what is happening inside Melbourne particularly when it comes to its mission fit economics, Melbourne is an absolute rock star. It actually is leading the pack when it comes to what next economically inside of Australia. And I'll explain what that means as we drift into the economics of Melbourne. But of course, you as a property investor need to decide where you're going to move your money to. Are you going to go and buy in Broken Hill? You can knock yourself out. There's houses out there for less than $100,000. 
Uh, Broken Hill is a weird little place. And I tell you what, what is the next industry of Broken Hill? I don't know the answers to that. Would I be putting my retirement in Broken Hill, not knowing the answer to what next for Broken Hill? Uh, probably not. But if we think about where you want to move your money to to foster your retirement, then a place like Melbourne makes a lot of sense. Remember, buying real estate at in current times is not about buying for the person you are today. So if you're 40 years old, you're thinking about buying real estate, you're actually buying it for your 65-year-old self, not your 40-year-old self. And so it's very important that you don't get caught up with fads because it can undo you as a property investor. And when it comes to your return on time, it can just meddle with so many years of your wealth creation. Obviously, I think it's fair to say Melbourne's going to exist in 2050. You will exist in 2050 and your retirement will be linked to what that looks like. If we thought of a place like Broken Hill, generally speaking, it is what we would refer to as an illiquid marketplace. Though it uh, seems easy to buy in a place like Broken Hill, Try selling your property in a place like Broken Hill. It can take years quite often to sell. And of course, if uh, you're in a hurry, that means you're just going to have to slash the price. However, what we find is places like Melbourne consistently have a population base which needs real estate. And because the population is always improving over time, and growing over time, you get this very liquid effect where most real estate can sell really within 30, 60 to 90 days. Remember, Melbourne is forecast to become Australia's largest city. By 2066, the population will be closer to 11 million people. It will become a mega city by world standards. And of course, when you think about Melbourne, it is a very, very large landmass. It is actually the 32nd largest area in the world. It is actually larger today than the city of London. Of course, the city to Lo of London has over 11 million people. It is larger than Mexico City. Mexico City has 12.5 million people. Melbourne is designed because of its large landmass to actually pull in as many people as Australia can take in. And as such, it will become Australia's largest city. It really is a Goliath when it comes to its uh, geography, its diameter, if you like. It can really keep going. And obviously, if you drive to the outskirts of Melbourne, you'll notice that there is land that can be developed and Melbourne can keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. Now, obviously, off the back of that, that means if we find real estate which is tightly held in uh, places where there is 
a limited supply where the town planning is favourable to, to property investment. Obviously, we're going to get more people. We'll eventually get more product, more properties. But at the end of the day, we're also getting this skill. And it's very, very important to understand that you, when you buy into a place, what matters today isn't where the most amount of people settle, but where the greatest number of people settle with skill. Melbourne is what we would refer to as a smart economy. People aren't only settling in Melbourne to grow its population base, but we are seeing with the transformation of Melbourne's industry that skill is settling in Melbourne. It's a very critical critical point to the puzzle of Melbourne's population expansion. Now, obviously, we've seen a rebound when it comes to overseen, overseas migration surging back into the country. Uh, last quarter, Victoria had its highest net overseas migration since 1981, it, uh, it broke all records. So the doors are open and people are coming. Now, remember inside of Australia, migration is actually a function of treasury. So basically, it's a mathematical algorithm. You put more skilled people into your economy, uh, your economy then can grow, and of course, you get a GDP output from that effect. <clears throat> So the expectations from Australian Treasury have uh, have created an environment where they want 235,000 migrants every year all the way up to 2030 to play a bit of catch up. It's a big increase from what it was. Um, and of course, in 2021, Australia's population growth did not grow. 2022 the same so between 2020 and 2021 and 2022 we lost people so the government wants to play catch up because if they can put more people into the economy uh, it creates a bit of competition it slows up wage growth and of course uh, that controls inflation but also above that you can grow your economy if you've got more people in your economy. And again, Australia loves this concept of population economics, more people, uh, more opportunities, more tax, uh, and so forth. So again, with um, the way migrants tend to work, they tend to settle in major urban areas of Australia uh, with the idea of calling particularly what you see is our more national brands with the bigger universities be chosen first. And of course, uh, Melbourne leads the way, followed by Sydney. And eventually you see the bullwhip effect of what that looks like, the fact that our universities are a catchment for new uh, Australians to come to Australia. And of course, the flow-on effect is you start to see the biggest local government areas by growth 
happen in New South Wales and Victoria. So if you were, for example, tracking the fastest growing local government area in Australia, it's in Sydney, Camden, followed by Wyndham, Victoria, followed by Melton, Victoria, uh, followed by the Surf Coast, Victoria, followed by Cardinia, Victoria, Bass Coast, Victoria, Hume, Victoria, Casey, Victoria. These are all uh, local government area names, little satellite names. But, you know, for example, Casey, Hume, uh, Wyndham, these are all Melbourne-based suburbs or local government areas, right? And so when we track how population works, a lot of the population is settling inside of Melbourne, which is what we want to see. Now, obviously, if you're going to build the largest city in Australia, um, by mid-century, 9 million people, by 2066, a megacity, a megacity is a city over 10 million people, then you're going to need to create housing. And of course, um, what you as a property investor need to understand is Melbourne will continue to sprawl. It will continue to add stock to its to its city base, no different to any place inside of Australia. But if we can make some critical decision today on what to buy and we choose something that is unique and interesting and niche that has some quality around it, then we're going to get the dividend off that because what we do know is the cost to deliver more stock inflates over time. We know that by way of example, eventually another million properties will have to be produced inside of Melbourne. That extra million properties over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years will cost more to deliver than the current stockpile of real estate which is available today. So you as a property investor kind of know that the way real estate unfolds, you will see price move it through the fact that more people are coming, more skill has been created, properties have to be created. So what will happen is properties will cost more to create but be placed in inferior locations to where you can possibly invest today. And as such, it is a pretty simple algorithm. We can keep real estate very, very simple. And of course, I think what is projected for Melbourne is a larger city, like a massive landmass. And if we go back to, you know, uh, where Melbourne's growth zones are, you know, you are growing out to the southeast, to the uh, to the west and to the north. And, uh, you know, you've got uh, really another 30% landmass which will be opened up to make even Melbourne a much bigger and uh, more sprawling city than what it is today. Now, <clears throat> again, there's two ways to look at that. You can go, well, geez, there's going to be some stock put into Melbourne 
But you can also go, well, I'm just going to buy inside of Melbourne knowing it's much more difficult for people to get around because there's going to be more, more people. You can be very contrarian with the way you invest inside Melbourne. You can go, well, okay, there's going to be 9 million people. I'm going to buy a property next to a park because there's green space is going to be worth a hell of a lot if there's going to be 9 million people in the city. The approach I took in Melbourne and, uh, you know, my recent investment in Melbourne has dividended. It's gone up by a quarter of a million dollars. How did I do it? I chose a walkable suburb. If there's going to be 9 million people in by the time I retire in Melbourne, driving a car is going to be pretty difficult to get around, so why not choose a walkable suburb. So as a real estate investor, you've got to analyze what is happening and then you make a decision to counter what is happening. And we call that contrarian investing. Melbourne, of course, is spatially changing and no doubt most listeners would have traveled to central Melbourne, to the CBD, and it's a very vibrant place it's a 24-hour city but there are other focus areas for employment and fundamentally they are the East Werribee area which is uh, uh, an area emerging the Sunshine area which is constantly evolving Latrobe which is really connected to education and medical Parkville, which is connected to biotech, which is game-changing science. We'll talk about what that looks like. Monash, which again is all about smart economics, and Dandenong South. So there are two key sort of principles here where we are starting to see a smart economy emerge, not only through the CBD, but through a focus on on national employment clusters in Monash, Parkville and Latrobe. Really, areas from Monash, Parkville and Latrobe are very much part of the emerging economy of Victoria. Now, again, when we talk about, obviously, the conversation of pie, it's population, so we, we know the population is going to grow. We want skill coming into our population base and then there's going to be associated output of jobs. So obviously in the short term, there's strong demand, low supply and eventually that equals price growth and probably the best way to examine price growth at the moment inside of Melbourne is its rental performance and forecast growth from a rental perspective, when you've got 5 million people and not enough properties going around, you're going to have a bit of a problem when it comes to rents. And of course, the forecast by SQM Research is anywhere from 10 to 15% rental growth inside of Melbourne. So obviously, when we consider a city like Melbourne, it's got every industry, uh, there's 19 separate industries inside of Australia. So you've got tourism, you've got, um, you know, you've got the arts, you've got manufacturing, you've got retailing, you've got office work, you've got 
banking. We we get that. Like any city that is of that scale has it all. And of course, from a property investor's point of view, you don't want to be connected to a single market economy. If an industry shuts down or is affected by global trade, then your property values get affected. Now, Melbourne has that many industries. It, uh, if one shuts down, really the economy just powers over the top of it. And we obviously saw that off the back of, for example, the uh, Ford Motor Factory shutting down. It was an industry. Australia could create its own cars. Um, there was manufacturing of Australia's own cars inside of, of Victoria and also Adelaide, both cities just got on with life. There was really nothing that shutting that industry down catastrophically did to those places. However, I've certainly seen small communities which are very reliant upon a form of manufacturing see that manufacturer disappear and those cities really from a real estate perspective, go backwards in a big way. So when it comes to future economics, it is an important conversation because as we know, jobs are changing. Jobs are always evolving. The way we communicate is changing. By way of example, knowledge working uh, for many office workers has changed. Today, you, uh, for many jobs, can not only work from the office, but you can work from home. For many jobs, you don't even need to be near your office any any longer. And of course, this is where we've seen the great spatial boom or Zoom boom of people moving to uh, lifestyle precincts to get a better lifestyle, but also connect through work digitally, the digital revolution. But the future of cities is more impressive than old mate zooming from his bedroom, living in a lifestyle precinct, and that's the end of the evolution of the world. No, far from it. The world is evolving, and certainly cities are evolving. Very much the way we study cities is through what is known as mission fit economics. And Melbourne is Australia's most mission fit marketplace. Basically, the way to understand how a city is described as mission fit, it is how a city's productivity is measured. And there are so many declining economic productivity places per capita that exists today and really the only reason the property values are the way they are today is because of wealthy baby boomers paying for the lifestyle proposition of those areas but there is really no productivity in those areas and again don't be fooled by the fad of much older people with money paying for a lifestyle sleepy village, there is no productivity in that lifestyle sleepy village. 
So at some point there will be a day of reckoning when there's not enough young people to balance the uh, much older settlements that those communities are becoming. So when it comes to mission fit scoring, really there are six Ps. The people, the planet, the performance, the positivity, the power, and the place itself. So when examining Melbourne, if we were to start with the people inside of Melbourne, Melbourne is creating a new version of itself. And it's not going to rely upon just office workers going to the CBD to prop up coffee shops being um, all over the shop inside of Melbourne. It is developing a tangible industry around biotech health and well-being and is attracting the talent that is going to create resilience over the long term. Really, one of the best things about Melbourne is its talent creation. What this really does is create a system where there's always young people coming into the population base to improve the GDP per capita of the city, but also grow the city from a property perspective. When we examine the people part of the process, the age profile of Melbourne, cultural diversity, education attainment, creativity is massive. It is the best in Australia. So Melbourne is what we would call a city which has a big future based on the skill set and who is in its population. It would score an 8 out of 10 being Australia's highest ranking city when it comes to its measurement of what its people, its citizens can produce economically. Remember, today we're talking about pie economics, population, and then we're drilling into uh, the economy. And this is really a measurement of the economy. Now, if we were to look at Australia's uh, least performing person city, it's Hobart. Hobart age profile is it's full of old people. And interesting enough, obviously, Hobart is has experienced great capital growth, particularly of much older Australians basically going to settle in a city. And uh, eventually, though, there is a reckoning whereby there's just not enough young people to prop up the uh, the old people in the economy and, and eventually things start to break. So we have seen the really great shift of the baby boomer and uh, they have gone to these lifestyle cities. They've gone to Hobart. They've gone to small regional towns. 
And they've created growth, but they've also created a real problem ahead when it comes to future economy because you will have a point where there's a massive, massive population gap. Melbourne is the polar opposite. Melbourne is a city which is designed around what it can produce from its workforce, not its retirees. And again, like that really, really excites me because when you've got a skilled economy developing, you've got a really, really safe, less volatile marketplace, which will improve over time. And of course, if government wants to create the wealth effect or the taxpayers are inside of a place like Melbourne. Obviously, when it comes to measuring the mission fit score of a city, you have to take into consideration the planet. Planet's changing. Climate change is real. There's shit happening all over the place. So many cities and smaller townships in Australia are affected by climate change. I know I say it a lot, Lismore. Australian government's helping buy back large components of Lismore because it would score a 1 out of 10 when it comes to being a climate-resilient city. When we think about where Melbourne is placed, it is outside of the El Nino and La Nina problem of the east coast of Australia. And, of course, uh, it actually scores very, very highly when it comes to being a climate-resilient city, close to 8 out of 10. And of course, uh, our least climate-friendly cities are generally uh, cities running out of water, Adelaide, uh, cities on the East Coast, Brisbane and Sydney when it comes to big uh, cities which will suffer continued barrage of climate challenges. When it comes to performance, uh, Melbourne... Uh, is a high performer. It scores a 7 out of 10. It sits up there with Brisbane as a high performer city. It's got economic diversification. It's got supply chain security. It innovates. It is a growing place when it comes to its future performance. And of course, uh, the benchmark, by the way, is Singapore. Singapore is the most mission-fit economy in the world or city in the world. It really is a city-state. And uh, where we end up inside of us studying Melbourne is a very, very positive place when it comes to its overall performance. When we think about Melbourne as a brand, it stands out. Melbourne is a very positive city. It attracts people from all over the globe. If you were traveling the world, you said, uh, I come from Melbourne, people would probably know where that is. They see it through particularly the events Melbourne puts on. Melbourne is the events city of Australia and very much it creates a lot of confidence around what its brand looks like. So when it comes to underpinning consumer confidence for its citizens, Melbourne does a great job. It's got the Melbourne Cup, the Formula One, the tennis, the cricket, 
And it really scores 10 out of 10. Really, there are no other cities uh, inside of Australia and not many cities around the world that attracts as much international recognition and events and positivity as does the momentum of Melbourne. When it comes to power, obviously, when it comes to the idea of efficiency, administration, the idea of governance, helping the city develop. Melbourne, rather like uh, Sydney, suffers from the fact it's got so many local government areas. It scores at a seven, which is still very high, but there are higher places like Brisbane, for example, score a nine out of 10. Brisbane is the largest local government area in Australia. There's over uh, 1.1 million people live in the local government area of Brisbane. Brisbane has a different council dynamic to that of Sydney and Melbourne. Sydney and Melbourne have like 37 different councils and you can imagine the power struggle uh, with with so many different um, council precincts. As a property investor, though, having different council precincts is very, very good because you can find a pro-development council, you can find a anti-development council precinct. And of course, you as a property investor can make some shrewd decisions to invest as a yes-in-my-backyard investor or not-in-my-backyard investor. And of course, uh when you understand different zoning and town planning around the greater city of Melbourne, it's a real form or art form of making money out of real estate. And of course, Melbourne has a huge score when it comes to its place. It obviously has a lot of public realm assets, a lot of festivals, a lot of events, a lot of depth when it comes to its culture and a lot of depth when it comes to the way the city works. You know, I come from Sydney and I can tell you we don't have the depth of culture that Melbourne has. We just don't. Like we like our uh, city but we our culture is is aligned to our beaches more so. Um you know, when I'm down in Melbourne, I'm always impressed. There's community activity. There's friends meeting up and going to coffee shops. There's friends meeting up and going to tipsy trivia, uh, you know, at the pub. The actual place brings community together. And, and of course, Melbourne scores very, very well when it comes to bringing community together. So the benchmark in the world when it comes to its score for mission fit cities and economies growing and industries changing when it comes to the world is is singapore it scores 85 out of 100 melbourne is actually our most mission fit economy it scores 82 out of 100 only three points behind singapore it scores very very highly on all facets of growing its people uh, its protective planet, its performance as a city, its positivity around its brand, its power of working and developing this mega city, and of course, 
the community that exists in this place is second to none. So from a property investor's point of view, we know it's going to do well. Like it, it cannot not do well. And as we discover Melbourne really is an economy which is the big brother of much smaller economies. It is interlinked to Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo. It's also interlinked to places like Hobart and Adelaide. Actually, uh, really, when you study the uh, baby boomers or downsizers into Hobart, a lot of them come from Melbourne. The money actually belongs eventually to the children of the people moving to uh, go to a sleepy uh, period of their life. So when we see the great transformation of wealth, it is very probable that even the money from the housing which has grown in Hobart will be returned to the children living in Melbourne. So we've got this mission fit economy, which is from a performance point of view, a very, very good ecosystem. But when we study future economies in Australia, it's probably Melbourne that stands out from all the rest of it when it comes to the natural ecosystem of Australian economics. Australia's got vast amounts of industry, but it is fair to say our major cities fight for some of the same things. For example, Sydney and Melbourne financially both run a financial district and as such, the role in the Australian ecosystem ecosystem is uh, always competing with each other, like which one is the national capital for financial services. Is it Melbourne or is it Sydney? When it comes to what the future looks like, it's very plausible that our major cities will have different ecosystems. Darwin, for example, will be a trade place, a port, uh, a gateway to Asia, if you like. Brisbane is developing its own identity as a gaming and technology city. Sydney is really the powerhouse when it comes to financial and professional services. Canberra, a powerhouse when it comes to government. Adelaide, building a great food and Epicurean tourism and innovation city. And of course, Perth is the powerhouse of energy and resources and always will be. But it intrigues me as to what Melbourne is doing, which is the most interesting to me and the one designing probably the most skilled-based economy of them all. Obviously, we know Melbourne as the events city, as the cultural capital, but do we know Melbourne as the biomedical science city of Australia? It's probably a bit foreign to you, but over the next decade, Melbourne is reinventing itself as not only a city which also competes with Sydney as a financial and professional services city, but also a city which is linked to events and culture. But beyond that is a city connected to biomedical. Melbourne's future economy is a science city. 
this is amazing. This is a real game changer as we come out of really our understanding of our relationship with cities. Obviously, for many knowledge workers, relationships with cities off the back of the pandemic has kind of been distorted. You're like, well, I'm just going to sit in my at home in my underpants and Zoom and say a few things on a computer and, uh, you know, that's, that's knowledge. But knowledge is much deeper than that. And as we study really the future of industry, Australia's biggest future and probably brightest future is what is known as biomedical. Melbourne is the science city of Australia and as such is running an amazing, amazing game plan when it comes to building the future of that population coming to the country, the skill they're going to bring and the output it will create. And of course, that links to eventually what happens when it comes to property values. So Melbourne has... Uh, really two universities that are ranked in the top global 20 that specialize in biomedicine. It is actually only one of three cities in the world to have two universities that are incubators for graduates to be part of the science system. And as such, Melbourne is attracting over 53% of the ASX listed companies that are connected to science. And of course, Melbourne is now attracting more than 40% of all medical research inside of Australia. If you're a medical company, you're going to be located in Melbourne. The future of Melbourne is medical. And of course, when it comes to the future of jobs in Australia, if you look at what the biggest accelerator of future jobs are in Australia. It really links to two major industries, healthcare and social assistance and professional science tech. These are where the massive jobs growth is going to be inside of Australia. And that jobs growth being healthcare and science tech is in Melbourne. So Melbourne is going to be the big economic winner into the future. Sometimes, I guess, when you think about economies, you don't really know where you stand economically. You know, Australia is renowned for creating fake economics, townships that only exist because government puts a department in those townships to prop up the fact there's nothing in those townships. Uh, there are many satellite cities which really only exist because, you know, we all need somewhere to go on the weekend uh, to go on some, you know, rides and, and uh, you know, or go, for, go on a fishing cruise. There's nothing to those. There's no real uh, trickle-down economics to them. They're just places which exist because we as human beings need to get out and explore. But if you want to know what's going to sit at the top of the food chain inside of certainly Australia, it will be energy, biomedical, and also the fire economy, which is finance, real estate, and insurance. 
the fire economy, which is if we go uh, and talk about Sydney, is really Sydney's role is fire economics, financial and professional services. Melbourne's role will not only include a large part of the fire economy where the bankers, the lawyers, the insurers, these people are making huge amounts of money. You see the correlation of real estate values. Science, obviously, is not a entry-level job where you're getting paid the wage of a storeman and packer. Science, again, is skill. And as such, science and healthcare, these jobs pay very, very well. Now, when you think about biomedical, you probably, uh, you know, maybe unless you come from a science background, don't quite understand it, but think about the idea of improving the amount of food we can create in the world, uh, solving cancer, uh, removing carbon from the atmosphere, um, discovering how to feed a global planet of 9 billion people. There are some critical questions the world needs to solve, some puzzles that need to be created to be solved. And of course, science is there to solve it. Now, even thinking about what we've just been through, the idea that contagion is real now. You know, if we look at the history of contagion, it feels like that, you know, the last time we had a global shutdown was the Spanish flu in 1920. But it's actually not the only contagion to really cause havoc around the world. 1990, we've had the AIDS uh, epidemic. We've had SARS, we've had swine flu, Ebola, we've had the Zika virus, we've had the Hendra virus, we've had so many damn viruses, the world is on watch as overpopulation happens that we need to create new uh, ways to create supply chain resilience. And of course, if we study off the back of the last census, Health conditions inside of Australia will blow your mind. Over 6 million Australians have a health problem right now. There's only 26 million of us. So what's that? 20% of Australia, one in five people today have a health condition inside of Australia. Who helps those people? Scientists. Scientists give doctors the tools to be doctors. Now, as such, it's so interesting. When we examine Victoria, it is leading the nation when it comes to biomedical research. It's investing in all sorts of technologies. It's investing in mRNA research. It's creating manufacturing capabilities inside of Melbourne. In fact, over the last 10 years, this will blow your mind, in US dollars, Melbourne has... Melbourne's businesses and government collectively have spent over $105 billion in investment in Victoria's medical uh, growth. It is really becoming the science city. And the reason it can do it is because Melbourne 
has the universities to create the graduates, to create the jobs, to create the science, to create the industry of the future. Now, you can't be a scientist in a lab from a Zoom room. So you got to understand that this industry is going to really develop Melbourne as a place of attraction and jobs and future economics in the world. Not only will the city exist, it will thrive. Not only will the city be reshaped to be a new cultural uh, place, it will have different jobs. And we talk about cities evolving. We talk about the idea that cities are going to be playgrounds, not only places of business. Melbourne is best placed to do this because Melbourne is an events capital of Australia. It is a cultural capital of Australia. So if anyone can make their cities more fun, I'm betting that Melbourne's probably going to lead the way of creating a community whereby you go to uh, into the CBD, for example. There's more than just office workers walking around trying to get a coffee and a Subway sandwich. However, if we go back to biomedical, Melbourne's infrastructure platforms are huge. If you think about companies which today are household names, they weren't before the pandemic. If you think of, for example, AstraZeneca or Pfizer or Moderna, odds are you never heard of those companies. They are all companies which, again, are evolving inside of Australia alongside Australia's third biggest company. Now, if I said to you, have you heard of BHP? I guarantee you, you would say you have heard of it. BHP is Australia's biggest company. The second biggest company in Australia is the Commonwealth Bank. Commonwealth Bank, Fire Economics, I guarantee you've heard of it. Third biggest company, CSL. Have you heard of it? Odds are you probably haven't. CSL is a massive company and it is a biotech company. It is based in Melbourne. It is based in Parkville, a jobs cluster. If you're not familiar where Parkville is, it's basically two kilometres from the CBD of Melbourne. It's a suburb right next door to, uh, you know, right next door to the North Melbourne. It's, 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 it's basically um, two k's from the city. Parkville is CSL headquarters. And it is the headquarters for biotech inside of uh, Australia. And so it's amazing when you think about these companies, BHP, it is an energy company. It is Perth, basically biggest employer. Commonwealth Bank, a fire economy uh, industry. It's uh, both Sydney and Melbourne. CSL, Melbourne-based, biggest company in the world. Then you've got the fire companies, fourth biggest company in Australia, NAB, 5th, Westpac, 6th, ANZ. You can see that Sydney and Melbourne carry the fire economy together. Melbourne has CSL. 
Then you've got Woodside Energy being seventh, which is uh, which is again uh, more so a Perth-based economy, Fortescue Perth-based economy. Then you've got Macquarie, which is very much a Sydney-based uh, fire economic economy, and Atlassian, which is uh, a uh, I well, it's 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 a tech company and it's based in Sydney. So CSL, the third largest company in Australia by market cap, its uh, share price, just I pulled it today, $195 a share. It's not a cheap stock, it's not a penny stock. Uh, by way of example, BHP is $61 a share, CSL, $195 a share. So if you've got a few bob and you want some shares, I guarantee you that the share price of CSL 10 years from now will be much higher than what it is today because the industry inside of Victoria is changing. Really, the future drops between now and 2025, we're talking Melbourne is going to create over 42,000 professional scientific and tech services jobs, another 52,000 healthcare jobs, another 40,000 education jobs, all connected around the city being renamed the Science City. So we've been through population, we've been through the economy of Melbourne, and it is Australia's most mission-fit economy. Obviously, infrastructure plays a part of pie. Uh, it actually goes population, infrastructure, then economics. But I wanted the economics to be the biggest part of today's program because most people just don't look under the hood. They look at a superficial way of looking at Victoria and don't really understand what what, what Victoria's major uh, mover when it comes to changing its market is and its science and biotech. Obviously, infrastructure-wise, Melbourne's a very mission-fit infrastructure city. It's got Australia's busiest curfew-free airport. It's got Australia's largest business container port. It's our busiest port. Anyone who's seen the port of Melbourne just knows how big it is as a Goliath when it comes to moving obviously, goods to and from Australia. It's got world-class infrastructure when it comes to its IT infrastructure, which is business-ready. You know, companies like CSL don't locate to a city like Melbourne because they can't use IT infrastructure. Of course, it's uh, it's evolving. And of course, Melbourne's evolving its road and rail network. And currently, the biggest, uh, I guess, investment in infrastructure in Australia's history is happening in Melbourne today. It's a 40, sorry, $54 billion transformation of the road and rail network inside of Melbourne. And uh, as such, you've got the the idea that Melbourne is kind of trying to build its version of the tube in London where you can go from, say, a Werribee all the way across the city to Dandenong and use the rail network without, you know, having to, uh, you know, n- uh, you know, basically um, drive a component of it and use... 
you know, it's trying to connect itself. And I'm if you look at the suburban rail loop, just Google it, it'll blow your mind. It is connecting all of the jobs clusters of Melbourne. Remember, the jobs uh, areas are the CBD of Melbourne, the Latrobe Precinct of Melbourne, which is part of Science City, Parkville, Biotech, Science City, Monash, uh, uh, Science City, and then you've got Dandenong, East Werribee and Sunshine, which are all these kind of more so manufacturing components of Melbourne. So uh, you're going to be able to go from East Werribee all the way around basically to the other side of Melbourne to, you know, basically Dandenong, um, and you're going to be able to crisscross and do that through rail, which is absolutely mind-blowing. It'll be really Australia's first city which can achieve this milestone of making itself a mobile city which is connected by rail. The other thing that infrastructure-wise, which is improving as part of the health and well-being science city, which Melbourne is be- is becoming is the investment in hospitals you've got so many you've got more public spending on hospital upgrades to connect to melbourne science future than than in the history of of creating hospitals in australia you've got uh the new royal melbourne women's hospital upgrade you've got the ringwood hospital upgrade you've got the hospital being created, a new brand new hospital being created in Footscray. You've got one Thaggy Hospital upgrade, Gippsland Hospital upgrade, Monash Medical Center upgrade. You've got the building of a new women's and children's hospital in Barwon. You've got uh and and as I said, like, you know, just go past the hospital in Footscray, like there is literally uh, 13 cranes on site. It is massive. It is the biggest hospital uh, revamp project in Australia's history. And and as such, you know, the government is just spending a bucket load of money building itself for this functionality of health, well-being and biotech. Obviously, Victoria has also won the Commonwealth Games we know that has a spin-off effect of obviously building a better community. Uh, you know, the Commonwealth Games will help satellite cities like Bendigo, Geelong and so forth uh, also improve their brands and overall improve the offering of Melbourne. So when it comes to choosing real estate in Melbourne, I'm a big fan of understanding how Melbourne connects how its future is healthcare, well-being and biotech, how its jobs work, how its education works, how its infrastructure works. And really, I just use all of that knowledge to then look at a very affordable suburb with livability prospects. Because if you are buying in a city which is going to become a mega city, a city the size of London population-wise, a city as big as London population-wise, and you're investing for your retirement, if you can just find something affordable today, but it's highly livable, highly priced, highly interesting to the market, obviously there is going to be six more million people coming between now and the 
day you pass away, at some point, one of those six million people is if you are holding something that is highly livable, that is interesting to that six million person yet to arrive in Melbourne in your lifetime, you are going to be able to get a wealth transfer of growth into the future. Where in 2023, I certainly see that components of the western area of Melbourne are really good value, uh, both uh, when it when it comes to livability and affordability. Uh, if you can afford to keep up with the Joneses, there's pockets in Bayside, Melbourne, which are just fantastic around the beach precinct of Melbourne. And of course, Middle Melbourne is always a winner when it comes to capital growth as is choosing the right part of inner Melbourne when it comes to fostering capital growth from real estate. Obviously, Melbourne is, uh, isn't cheap in all areas, but uh, what that does do is create an associated ripple effect of finding an affordable and livable property. But think about Melbourne's future. It is really exciting. It's Australia's most mission-fit economy and I think will become the smartest economy inside of Australia. When you think about all those billions of dollars being spent and the result of an industry which is resilient is what's so interesting to me. You know, for example, Brisbane is building the Commonwealth, uh, the, 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 the Olympics, which is fantastic, uh, but does it create a resilience around jobs? biotech, resilience around jobs. And, and for me, that's the most interesting thing. Brisbane, of course, is developing its gaming future and tech future, which is resilience around jobs. So again, like, you know, we, we often look at the big headlines inside of economics, but it's actually the what is happening underneath the curtain, which is so interesting to me when it comes to the economics of a place. Melbourne's science, city, biotech, health future is going to be the biggest in the country and it really could become an economic powerhouse, certainly led by Australia's third largest company, CSL. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you on the next episode as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.